and welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoy this message by one of our executive pastors, Luke Hazelmeyer, on God's gift of purpose. So I want to talk this morning about walking out of apathy. And I want to continue in what we've been talking about over the last few weeks that God right now, we believe, is judging the church to make the church different and stand out from the rest of the world. And when we use the word judgment, we are not talking about punishing or condemning. We're talking about assessing where we are. So assessing the church, where's the church strong? Where's the church have some room for growth? And then disciplining us. And when I say discipline, I don't mean punishment or condemnation. I mean growing and developing and teaching and training and pruning. And so we believe God's in this process with the church right now. And I think one of the things God is disciplining the church on and asking the church, like, hey, are you going to be different or are you going to be the same, is on this topic of apathy. You know, there aren't really, you don't really interact with that many truly passionate, life-filled people on a daily basis. And, and I think that people who really live from that place of kingdom life and passion when you have a person like that, they don't even have to say anything around when they're around people. They don't have to do anything. Just their presence is already revealing Jesus to people. And I think God wants us to be the kind of people who are so full of his kingdom life and passion that just being in a room, people start to ask us like, hey, like you are like kind of different. You're, it's weird how joyful you are and how excited you are, but also how like confident and secure you are. Like what's going on with you? Like I think we should strive to have encounters with people where they ask us, what is going on with you? You just seem different. You don't seem like everyone else. And people that are full of God's passion and kingdom are like that. So what I want for today is that for all of us to take a look at like, how hot is the fire in my heart burning for God right now? Is it like a red hot flame? If so, awesome, but I want more, right? Because there's always more for us. We're never arrived when it comes to our passion and our hunger for God. Um, am I a little lukewarm? And if so, what does it look like for me to take a step out of that? And wherever we are in that spectrum, I want us to just think about what, how can we take a step forward today? So the text we're gonna read first is Revelation 3. Um, before we read this, this is going to sound a little harsh. And I think Jesus meant to sound harsh here, kind of like a coach sometimes is a little harsh with a player. Like my wrestling coach, as a, if you really knew me, you'd know that in high school, I uh, sat the bench on the football team at Corian High School, but I went to the state tournament for wrestling. So wrestling was my sport. And my senior year wrestling coach was like this, where he loved me unconditionally and there were times he was super gentle with me and kind with me because he knew that's what I needed. But then there were other times where he knew that he needed to like get on my level, look me in the eyes and kind of like figuratively smack some sense into me, you know? And I think that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. So don't let the harshness throw you off, okay? So let's read through Revelation three fifteen through 19. 
This is what it says. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, by the way, I take offense to the term lukewarm, (laughs) but it's here, so. Since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. So first kind of thing Jesus says is, look, I see your works right now. I see kind of like, your heart. You aren't hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. And then he goes on to say, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, kind of like if you don't go one way or the other. And I want to clarify, when Jesus says here, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, I don't think he's talking about, actually, I'm very confident, he's not talking about, like, I'm going to take away your salvation. Like, if you don't get passionate for me, you're going to hell. I don't think he's saying that. You know, here's a good way to look at it. Have you ever had a cup of coffee in the morning and you kind of get distracted, some things happen, you don't really know how much time has passed, and then you go to take a sip of that coffee and it's lukewarm? That's not a very pleasant experience, is it? And usually we're like in our home somewhere, so we're not going to spit it out. But I bet you if I was like sitting outside and that happened, I might actually spit the coffee out of my mouth, right? Because I mean, I know some of you like your coffee lukewarm, and I just don't understand that. But... (laughs) But for normal people, like, we don't want to drink. (laughs) We don't want to drink lukewarm coffee, right? And so then what do we do? We don't just dump the whole thing out and say, I'm never drinking coffee again. We go and we put it in the microwave or do whatever we do to heat the coffee up. And so I think that's kind of Jesus's point here is like, hey, you're lukewarm, so I'm going to heat you up. And that's why he says later, I discipline and correct everyone that I love. It's not that I'm going to take away your salvation because you're not passionate. It's that, hey, you're not passionate and I love you enough to not let you stay that way. And same thing with cold. Um, uh, You ever had like a Coca-Cola or something or a Mountain Dew or Sprite and you go to take a drink of that and it's lukewarm. Ugh, nasty, right? No, what do you do there? You get some ice cubes, you cool it down. The point here that Jesus, he's not saying like, I'd rather you be cold as in like not loving me, at, like I'd rather you hate me than be lukewarm. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's just using two different extremes to emphasize the same point that like cold is good in some circumstances, hot is good in others, lukewarm is never good for anything. Go one way or the other to restore that passion and fire in your heart. <clears throat> so um, I think for all of us, he wants us to, if we're experiencing lukewarmness in any part of our relationship with God, I think he wants us to walk out of that lukewarmness or walk out of that apathy. So how do we do this? Uh, go one chapter earlier now, we're gonna read out of Revelation 2. <clears throat> Same kind of thing here. Jesus is, he's in like coach mode, right? You know, there's gentle Jesus, there's kind Jesus, there's really like compassionate Jesus, and then there's like coach Jesus. That's who we're listening to right now. 
So Coach Jesus, Revelation 2. I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people and you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus kind of gives three steps here for what it looks like to walk out of apathy back into your first love. By the way, when he says first love, imagine like honeymoon phase, okay? Whether it's with um, significant other or some, you know, even a friendship, like that time where you knew, each other, you knew each other enough to really like love being around each other, but you didn't know each other enough to know what you didn't like about each other. And so you could do no wrong to each other and you always believed the best about each other and you, you, know, you, you wanted to stay up late and talk on the phone all night and whatever. So think of that kind of love. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here to the church is like, hey, you're persevering. You're testing the false teachers and you're finding them to be false. You're enduring persecution and that's great, but we're not in love anymore. I wanna be in love again. And so the three kind of steps Jesus gives here are remember, he says, remember from where you've fallen, then repent, that's step two. Step three, do the things you did at first. So by remember, he's basically saying, remember that time that you weren't lukewarm. Like remember what it was like to be on fire for God in your heart and accept the fact that that's not how you are now. It's not a condemning thing. It's not a judgmental thing. It's not a shaming thing. It's just like an honest thing. Like there has to be a moment where we're honest before God and we say, God, there was a season where I was going after you with my whole heart and some things have happened since then and I'm not that way anymore. But I wanna be. And if I don't feel like I want to be, at least I know that I want to want to be. That's the, really, that's the more important thing. Like if you don't feel like you want to, press into God more, but you want to have that feeling, that's the best thing you can have. So remember, second step, repent. And remember the word repent, it's got tons of religious baggage on it. It doesn't mean, repent is like so far from meaning really embrace the guilt of what you've done so severely that you're motivated to never do that thing again. That's not repentance. Biblical repentance is simply changing the way you think. You're thinking this way right now, and that's why you're experiencing lukewarmness. Think this other way, and you'll experience being on fire again. So it's changing the way that you think. And um, for some of us, what we need to repent about is pretty obvious. Like if... I'm experiencing lukewarmness and at the same time, I've got major unforgiveness towards someone in my life. Like I'm just bitterly angry and hurt towards them and I'm like hosting that bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. I just, that's an obvious one. Like if I repent of that, if I can let go of that with God's help, 
that um, that's probably going to be the thing that it takes for that lukewarmness to fade and for me to be on fire again. Or if I'm like in some deep, dark sin struggle, um, that's probably the obvious thing that I need to repent of. And so if that's something that you know right now, like if you, if there's something where you're like, you know what, I am a little bit lukewarm right now and I know exactly why, it's because of this. Then I want to encourage you afterwards, get prayer from our prayer teams there. Um, we'll have some here and, and uh, it'd just be a great thing for you to take to the Lord today. So there's obvious things we need to repent of, but then there are, um, there are times where we're not actually totally sure what we need to repent of. It's kind of like, like I, there's been plenty of seasons before for me where I've gone from like fiery passion to more lukewarm and I can't really put my finger on it why. Like I know maybe I've gotten a little busier. Um, maybe I have gotten a little bored. Uh, you know, I, don't, may, I don't exactly know why though. Like I, I, don't, I can't tell you this is what I need to repent from in order to um, experience being on fire again and walk out of apathy. And if that's the case for you, I think this third step is like especially important and useful. Um, Jesus says, remember from where you've fallen, repent. And then step three, do the works you did at first. Now, before I explain what that means, I wanna clarify between two terms. There are works and there are the works you did at first. Another way to say it, there are works and there are first love works. And the two are very different. And I bring that up because there is a trap that we can easily fall into. I've fallen into it many times myself that the enemy wants us to fall into. And I call that trap the fix-it trap. And the fix-it trap goes something like this. Because I'm feeling lukewarm, I need to do X, Y, and Z to fix my lukewarmness and be on fire again. That's the fix-it trap. It goes something like, because I'm lukewarm, I just need to start reading my Bible again every day for an hour, and that'll fix my lukewarmness. Or maybe it's like, I used to pray like three or four times a day intentionally. I'm not doing that anymore, so I need to start praying three to four times a day again in order to fix my lukewarmness. Or I used to do so much evangelism and I was always telling people about Jesus. I'm not doing that as much anymore. So if I can just get back out there and do more evangelism, I'll fix my lukewarmness. So, you know, so on and so forth. I need to start listening to Christian radio again in the car instead of other music. Then I'll fix my lukewarmness. And this really is a trap because trying to fix your lukewarmness by doing things not only is it not gonna work, but it's probably gonna leave you feeling more ashamed and more lukewarm than ever. And here's why. Let me give you like a metaphor. Um, imagine a husband and a wife, okay? Now, if you're married, you can easily imagine that. If not, I think you can still imagine that. A husband and a wife, right? Imagine that in scenario one, they listen to each other super well. They're curious about how each other are feeling and what each other are thinking. They always wanna know and they're always interested in each other's day. They're always seeking to understand each other. They're vulnerable with each other. They put each other first, okay? That's scenario one. Now imagine husband comes home 
one evening with an expensive gift for his wife. What's her reaction gonna be? Excitement, joy. It's probably gonna, she's probably gonna experience even deeper fondness for him, right? Now scenario two, husband and wife. They don't really listen to each other. They don't put each other first. They put other things first. They don't seek to understand each other. They're not curious about what each other is going through, what each other are feeling, what each other are thinking. Same thing. Husband comes home one evening with an expensive gift and gives it to his wife. Is, that, is she gonna experience that gift the same way that the, the wife in scenario one did? No, right? Why is that? Everyone's like, I think I know why, but I can't say it. <laughs> because they're not connected. You see, when we've lost our first love, we don't have a doing problem, we have a connection problem. And getting connected, you can't just do things for someone to be connected with them again. Like, if I've lost my connection with my wife, Jamie, buying her an expensive gift is like the last thing that I should do. What I should really do is sit down with her, ask her how her day has been, ask her what she's been thinking, listen to her, understand her, see where I'm not putting her first and start putting her first again. I focus not on doing things to make her happy or me happy. I focus on connecting with her. And... That is the difference between works and first love works. Works are, I need to do stuff to get rid of my, my lukewarmness. First love works are, I'm not as connected as I was. I'm going to get connected again. I'm not even going to think about how I'm feeling. It's not important. The important thing is to be connected again. And when we have that difference in our focus and perspective, we don't even have to try. That fire is going to come back in our heart because Connection with God is like the um, it's like the foundation of fire for God. It's like connection with God is like the kindling and the newspaper and the match. And once you have that connection thing down, the fire and the passion is just going to flow right out. So we can't fall into the fix-it trap where we're trying to. Um, do things to fix our lukewarmness. We gotta focus on, on doing, th- we're still gonna do things, right? It's not like an absence of doing things, but we're gonna do things like, to get connected with the person and connect with them deeper. And the reason we call these, by the way, first love works, the reason Jesus says, do the things you did at first, is he's saying, do the things you did at first for the reason you did them. When you first came to the Lord, it's not like you were like, you know, sitting there as a non-Christian, like, you know what? I'm kind of lukewarm towards this God person up here. I need to start doing some things to fix my lukewarmness towards him. No, you just found God, realized that there's so much more in this life than you knew possible, and you wanted to get to know that God. And that's what it looks like to go back to those first love works. So, um, so yeah, that's like the foundation. We're not doing things, and we're not doing things to restore our passion. And I, I share that right now because I want to go into. I want to end by going into three like first specific, practical first love works that I think if we can press into all three of these, 
will see passion come back. But I don't, I don't wanna share them unless I start with the fact that just like doing these things as a formula isn't gonna work. They have to be under the foundation of I'm doing, I'm doing these things, these three things, because I want to connect with God deeper. So let's talk about those three things. Um, these are called, I'm calling these first love works. First one, we walk out of apathy by engaging with risk. Risk is a first love work. Taking risks in our relationship with God is something that stirs fire and passion in us. And we know this because in the book of Acts, you have the early church, it blows up, it's thousands of people, but it's staying right there, comfortable in Jerusalem, right? But then when persecution comes towards the early church and the first martyr, Stephen, is stoned to death, um, and then in Stephen being stoned to death, it actually enables and um, kind of roots on persecution all over the place. Like when that happened, you would think that would have been the thing that would squelch the early church or put them all into hiding, but it didn't. It actually caused the church to spread and become more fiery and passionate than ever. Why is that? Because being a Christian just became riskier. There's something about risk that stirs passion in us. And I don't wanna read the text for the sake of time, but there's this great Old Testament story that you've probably heard Van speak on a few times. I should have just had him come here and share it because I'm not gonna do it justice. But um, in 1 Samuel 14, uh, Saul has just been made king of Israel. He was Israel's first king. And all of the people of Israel were looking to him to rescue them from like the oppression they were under from the Philistines, a neighboring nation. And so Saul like gathers all these people together. He gets this big army together to go fight the Philistines. And his son, Jonathan, actually attacks a Philistine outpost first and totally obliterates it. And everyone's like excited. But then the Philistine army musters. And it says in the text literally that the amount of men in the army were more than you can, more than like the grains of sand on the seashore. And because of that, the Israelite army starts getting freaked out. One by one, they're deserting, they're running, they're doing all these things, and there's only 600 of them left. And they're all hiding in caves with the Philistine army searching for them. Like, that's the setting. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, takes his armor bearer, and they sneak over to this outpost, this Philistine outpost. It's got about 20 people there. And uh, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, hey, um, if they say this, and then he says something, if they say that, like say, they say scenario one, we're gonna storm that place and take them out. But if they say scenario two to us when they see us, we're not. So they walk over to the bottom of the hill and the Philistines see them. And sure enough, they say scenario one. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer, two on like 20 trained warriors, they sneak, they go up the hill with the Philistines just looking at them. Somehow they get to the top of the hill, they're not killed, and they take out everyone in the outpost. And when that happens, here's the crazy thing. It says in the text that a great trembling came upon the entire Philistine army and a great boldness came on the whole Israelite army. And that was actually a turning point in that war. And it all came from one bold man's risk. 
You see, risk, it not only does something in your heart, but when we take kingdom risks, we actually cause fear and confusion into the kingdom of darkness in the spiritual realm. And so there's just something about risk that is a first love returning work. And for a lot of us, stepping into risk might be the very thing that gets us breakthrough in this area of lukewarmness and apathy. Second, oh, before, actually, don't go to the second one yet. Thank you. Okay, um, I, want to, I want to make this practical real quick. I know when, I, when we talk about risk from the front, a lot of us immediately think, oh, they're trying to get us to walk up to someone in Kroger we don't know and give them a prophetic word or go ask if we can pray for someone. And yes, those are good things to do. But if that's a stumbling block for you, if that's all you think of when you think of pressing into risk and then you don't do it, Think of, I don't think that's, here's the way I would think about risk. What is something that I think God might be calling me to do that's gonna require faith on my end? What's something that I think God might be saying, hey, Luke, I want you to do this, that in order for me actually to do it, it's gonna require faith. It could be giving money. It could be doing evangelism. It could be texting someone who I had a conflict with and never totally resolved that conflict with them. It could be, a number of things. And so just identifying one of those things, it's gonna take faith and doing it, that is taking risk. And I believe that's gonna push us into passion. Second, first love work. We walk out of apathy by embracing sacrifice. Sacrifice is a first love work. Let's read Mark 8, 35 to 37. This is Jesus. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? So the point Jesus is making here is that we experience true kingdom life when we give up something God's calling us to give up. And the reason we experience true kingdom life when we're willing to give something up is because when God asks us to make a kingdom sacrifice, it's never just us giving something up. It's actually an exchange. When God asks me to give something up for him, it's because he wants to give me something that I can't carry unless I give the thing up that he's calling me to give up. And so it's really an exchange. I mean, a a way that the Bible talks about, it's kind of like planting a seed It's like when God calls me to make a sacrifice and I do, I'm like planting a seed that's gonna grow a harvest in my life, either spiritually or sometimes even material. You know, I'm not not sharing the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel message of like, if you you plant a seed of $1 and when you give, God's gonna give you back $1,000. I'm not saying that. Although that could happen. You know, he's God, let's not put a box on him. But um, really what I think the point of this metaphor is that Um, whenever we make a sacrifice, it's it's like we're planting a seed and God's gonna grow that seed and it's gonna be something that's gonna be way more fruitful and way more of a blessing in our life than the thing that we had to give up. And so there are a number of things God could be calling us to give up. Sometimes the sacrifice really is just material, money or possessions, it's time. Maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to do HOTS once a month. HOTS is a outreach ministry we do on uh, Saturdays. 
Um, so sacrifice your time. I know your time is valuable. I know your time is precious, but I want you to make the sacrifice for me. Um, maybe it's a sacrifice of energy. Maybe it's letting go of a negative thing that you're clinging to. Maybe there's this thing that you love that you know is not really good for you. God's saying, give that thing up. Or maybe it's letting go of a good thing that's not currently good for you. Let me say that again. A good thing that's not currently good for you. You see, sometimes our passion for God is harmed because it gets mixed in with passion for something else. Sometimes, like I can recall a time in my life where I was experiencing a lot of ministry success and I loved the feeling of being successful. And my passion for God was there and true and real, but it was a little bit mixed with lust for success. And when our passion for God gets mixed with something like that, it can be the thing that holds us back and keeps us in lukewarmness. And actually laying down whatever it is, whatever that passion is, um, it's gonna be the thing that helps us get breakthrough. And for me, obviously lusting for success is not a good thing, but success itself is good. God wants us to be successful. God wants us to want success. But when we make success too much of our priority that it starts competing with him and our relationship with him, then it's something we gotta lay down for a season. And there are plenty of things we could be talking about here. Um, Sometimes we need to lay down like political passion. I know you're like, you guys, he's gonna bring up politics. He always does. Sometimes though, that's for real. Like political passion is a good thing. It's not bad. We need people that really care. But if our political passion gets mixed with our passion for God, and all of a sudden those things are kind of the same thing. We're getting excited about stuff that's happening in the world and we're not sure whether that's actually like our passion for God that's riling us up or our passion for politics. That's a, maybe a time where God's like, you need, we need to lay that down. It could be money. It could be um, sometimes like we have a, a passion for seeing like the church be all that it can be. And like a passion that the church would stop being lukewarm and the church would stop being afraid and the church would stop being this and that. And all of a sudden we start to kind of develop a little bit of like anger towards the church and like bitterness towards the church. And it starts coming out when we're talking to people in the church. And that is something we, some, we gotta let go of sometimes. You know, we, It's good to want the church to be all that it can be. But if that like passion for the church turns into bitterness and anger, that might be something we gotta let go of for a season in order to get restored to pure, good, healthy passion for God. Sacrifice is a first love returning work. Third, we walk out of apathy by standing in faithfulness. Galatians 6, 9 says this, so let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. Sometimes God's looking at you and he's like, you know what? You are doing everything right. There's not this big, deep, dark sin you need to repent of. There's not this idol you've placed before me you need to get rid of. You just need to keep showing up and don't give up. And sometimes just straight up persevering is the thing we need to do in order to see that first love passion return to our hearts. So um, risk, 
sacrifice and faithfulness. I think all three of these things are important for us returning to our first love. And not only are they important concepts, but I think they actually play off each other. So I wanna show you a little, little Venn diagram that we created. So we've got sacrifice, risk, and faithfulness. When you have all three, I believe, you have healthy, thriving passion. But let's start with what about when you have just one of the three and you don't have the other two? Can we throw up? When all you have is just sacrifice or just risk or just faithfulness. Next slide. (laughs) Boom, there it is. Thank you. Can we just give it up for the tech team? Awesome, love you guys. So when you have just risk and you don't have sacrifice or faithfulness, that's thrill seeking. Like all you wanna do is just go get the next like adrenaline high in your relationship with God, not good. When all you have is sacrifice, you're not taking risks for God, you're not being faithful, that's just religion. That's just doing things to try to please God. And then when all you have is faithfulness and you don't have risk or sacrifice, that's going through the motions. What about now when you have two of the three? Can we do the next slide? So let's start with the top. When you have sacrifice and risk, you're probably really radical for God. Like it's probably gonna be really powerful, but because you're missing faithfulness, it's only gonna be temporary. On the left, when you have sacrifice, when you're willing to give up what God's calling you to give up, whatever it is, and you have faithfulness, you're not, you are not quitting. You're continuing to press through but you don't have risk, you probably have a healthy, but kind of like a stagnant faith. And a sta- this is kind of where I find myself, to be honest with you guys. And this, this for me, usually a passion, restoring passion is pressing more into risk. Usually I just get comfortable. I'm reading my Bible in the morning with my coffee on my right side of my desk. You know, I've got my prayer list. I go through my prayer list. Like usually I just get comfortable and I need God, I need to kind of like, ask that question, God, what's something that's going to take faith for me to do? So you can kind of shake me up. And then on the right, when you have risk, when you're taking risks for God, you're also being faithful, but there's not sacrifice. You probably have a really tenacious faith, but it's conflicted. It's kind of like mixed. It's muddled. Like this is where you have deep passion for God and you're living it out in radical risks for the kingdom, but there's this other thing that you're holding on to that God's saying, if you would just sacrifice that, this would all be taken to the next level. And then obviously, when you have all three, you have a healthy, thriving passion for God. So I hope that you can look at this and kind of see, you know what? I've got these two down, but I need to press into this one. Or I've got these other two down, and I need to press into this one. And I want to end this morning by taking time just reflecting on like, God, what are you asking me to do to to walk out of apathy, walk out of lukewarmness, step more into passion? And I actually asked the band to come up and do one last song. So band, you can come out. And this song was written by one of my favorite worship leaders. His name is Jeremy Riddle. And he just wrote this book called Reset. And this book is all about like his personal return to passionate, undivided devotion to God. And so, Ban, you hear me? (laughs) Don't tempt me. There, here they come. Okay, so 
this song is all, this song, it's, it's all, so like that's his book. Jeremy Riddle wrote this book, The Reset. And this song is kind of like the anthem of that book. Like this song is all about a return to, to that passionate, uncompromised devotion to God. And so what I want, you can sit during this, you can stand, you can sing along, you can just read the words and reflect. Like no pressure to do anything. Do what you know, like do whatever helps you connect with God and hear his voice for you the best. And, um, and ask him, Lord, is there, is there a thing that you're asking me to lay down, to step into, to press into in order to walk out of apathy? So... Um, Yeah, I'll pray, and then we'll just go into this. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would quicken our hearts and our minds to your presence and your voice right now. That you would remove distractions in Jesus' name. That you would release, um, just release your voice in a way that's clear. And I ask for people that have said they've never been able to hear God before, I just heard the Lord say, you're gonna hear me for the first time right now. In Jesus' name, amen.